Well, hello again. So, uh, man, it's been a great morning already. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your spirit would continue to move through this place. God, I pray that you would, uh, as, as we open your word, Lord, that you would uh, bless the reading of your word. God, I pray that you would uh, open our, our hearts, our minds, and our eyes uh, to what you may have for us today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, let me ask you this. How do you respond to criticism? Is it a little more like this? Where you look at the person and you're like, what do you care? Right? Because when people criticize us, we, uh, we can get defensive in fact, most of the time, that's where we jump to because criticism is different than a critique, isn't it? Criticism usually, in fact, almost always comes from a negative place. A critique is where somebody's maybe uh, saying something to help improve something, but criticism usually just has this very big negative context and, and, and we get defensive right away, especially if it's something we're passionate about, right? Because we've been working on something or there's something that you're like really proud of and you're like, yeah, nailed it. And then you like show it to somebody and they're like, that's stupid. And, and you know what I mean? Instantly you're like, you know what I mean? And, and we all get that way, absolutely. But what do you think your response to criticism Think about this for a second, about you specifically. What do you think your response to criticism actually teaches others about your values and who you are? Because we live in a very critical world. And we all respond differently, but it's almost become a, a norm to respond to criticism in, in a very, um, boy, blunt and even negative back way, right? You hit me, I'm gonna hit you harder. And as we move forward as a church, as we move forward as people living in this world, we cannot escape criticism. We just can't do it. In fact, we live in a society that has become more and more critical as the world has become more and more connected and informed because everything's out there. Everything is out there for everybody to see and everybody's opinion is, uh, is really easy to throw out there because we're all super brave behind our, our two-thumbed keyboard but everything we do is scrutinized. Everything we do is scrutinized. Every word we say, every decision we make, every decision we don't make. And there's been a lot of trauma caused over that, if we're being honest. I mean, if you think about during, uh, during COVID, that the, the amount of criticism that was coming back and forth in every which way was something to behold, right? And a lot of trauma caused by that that fell in the vein of, of criticism. And we're gonna weigh into that a little bit as well. Uh, in, into next week. But here's the thing. The more we know about Jesus, the more we get to know him, the more we know more about who he says we are, the more we can be who he is calling us to be, and the more that we can handle a critical world in a much more godly way. This series is called Criticizing Jesus. And while that name may sound a, a, a little bit polarizing, uh, there's some intentionality to that. But we're going to be looking at the criticisms that Jesus faced because it's really hard to flip through the Gospels, especially during Jesus' three and a half year ministry, and to not find him being criticized virtually every page that you turn. 
whether it was the religious leaders, whether it was Rome, his own family, some of the criticisms were really harsh. And yet he kept preaching and kept teaching about the kingdom of God and being obedient to God. And each criticism really gives us a unique perspective on Jesus and his life and his ministry. It shows us how, he, how others viewed him at the time. Some of the criticisms really give you a, a really quick glimpse of how he was viewed because they seemed to either be afraid of the consequences of his teaching or they were angry with him about his teaching. And then we're also given an opportunity to learn more about Jesus, both from what they're criticizing, but also how he responded to those criticisms. And here's the interesting thing about all these criticisms of Jesus as you go through the Gospels, is that they actually legitimize his ministry. All of the criticisms actually legitimize his ministry. And we can learn a lot about Jesus and about his priorities and his character that we can apply to ourselves today and in ever more critical world. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. You can certainly follow along uh, on the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, you can just scan this QR code and it'll take you right to it. Uh, and you can follow along there um, in, the, in the events. You can find Connect Church in Akron, Ohio. So whether you're here or watching online, would love for you to be able to follow along with me there. And we're going to be looking at a criticism that, uh, that Jesus faces um, from the disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had disciples. He had people that were following him. In many ways, he had maybe his own little kind of traveling church, if you want to call it that, because he had people that were, that were with him, uh, that were following him. But he had a very strict and disciplined lifestyle. We know that. Yes, he was a wild man, but a lot of the reasons that he was kind of called a wild man is because of his very strict and disciplined life. And so his disciples were most likely extremely strict in their uh, lifestyle and their self-discipline as well. And so they come across Jesus and his disciples and they see his disciples and they thought of, of his disciples basically as a group that really didn't have much self-control and weren't doing the right thing at the time. And it sounds kind of, you're like, okay, what's going on here? Now we gotta put things in context and we're gonna do that as we go through. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I want to start in verse 14, and I want to look at just this one verse real quick before we continue through, because this is not a long story, but there's a lot for us here. So in verse 14 in, in Matthew chapter 9, it says this, one day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? So essentially what, what they're asking is, is they're saying, listen, how come you're not doing religion right? What's the deal with that? Why, why aren't you doing it like us? Now, we have to note here in this moment that the disciples of John the Baptist, they're identifying much more with the Pharisees than they are with followers of Jesus. And that may initially have, you know, give you some pause there, and I guess it sort of should, but we gotta remember the time in which we're living here. Um, because their criticism is basically, hey, we're fasting and you're not. This is how we've always done it. What gives? Right? Fasting was still and is still part of Judaism that's an important part for them. Jewish people fast each year on the Day of Atonement. Uh, that's laid out in Leviticus 23. But during the time of Jesus, it was also very common practice 
for Jews to fast two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays, from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then after that, they were allowed to eat. And so we can assume that this story is taking place on a day that they were expected to be fasting, okay? So, uh, so the Jewish people should have been fasting today, yet Jesus and his disciples were not. As we go through this series, I want to sidebar for a quick second because it's important thing to realize that what I'm not trying to do and what we shouldn't do is vilify Jesus' critics here. Not necessarily. Because what they were really doing was culturally expected behavior at the time. They, they, weren't, they weren't like out of line necessarily by asking this question and we don't necessarily know the context in which this was here, but this was a culturally accepted practice at this time. And so in some ways, you're going, yeah, I think that's a legit question to ask at the time. And so I have to ask the question for myself and even for us, what culturally accepted practice today would Jesus abstain from that we would maybe have to go, what, what in the world, right? For example, what if Jesus was around today and we come to find out he's not on Facebook or Instagram. And we're like, what? Seven out of nine people on earth, statistically speaking, are on Facebook. And you're like, Jesus, how, how could you not be on Facebook? This is a great ministry opportunity. How could you not be on Facebook? You probably have a flip phone too, don't you? <laughs> right? <laughs> Some of you with flip phones are like, it's okay, you're still welcome. We love you. <laughs> but isn't that how we are, right? Like everyone's doing it. Why don't, what's the deal? What would you criticize him for if he wasn't fill in the blank? That, that's kind of what was happening here. But the point here is to look at Jesus and his response to this, which is really interesting. It's really interesting. Let's go to verse 15 through 17. Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. Huh? Right? Now, listen, we're not living in first century. And so let me just tell you that these, were, these two analogies were extremely relevant at the time. So we're going to break this apart just a little bit. I want you to notice a couple of things in Jesus' response to this. First, he doesn't deny that they're right. He doesn't say, nuh-uh. He doesn't immediately get defensive because they were right. They weren't wrong in what they were saying. No, they weren't fasting at the time. But Jesus responds with these analogies that are really re relevant. And we have to understand that when the Bible was written, number one, not in English. Number two, we have to understand the historical context, who it was written to, why it was written to, and who it was written by. And if we look at those things and we understand those things, then we can see the way in which this actually applies to us in, in more ways than you realize when we break this apart. 
So he says, his response, do the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Here's what he means by that. He's like, I'm here with them. I'm here now. Shouldn't we be celebrating right now? In Jewish culture, which th this is different than us, but at the time, the wedding was a celebration of a lifetime. A wedding celebration lasted an entire week. The couple would not leave immediately after the ceremony and go on a honeymoon. That's what happens today, right? We have like a 20, 30 minute ceremony and psh, they're gone. And okay, so we'll have a reception with some food, you know, for a couple of hours and hang out and, and that's fine and that's great. No, 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 this was a week long festival at their house. This was, a, this was the party of a lifetime and everyone that was there got to be a part of this the entire time. And it was so important at that time that the rabbis would actually make an official ruling that all those that were in attendance for the bridegroom are relieved of all their religious observances so that they can enjoy their time. Now there's a whole other thing about that because what Jesus is not saying is, and that's fine. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that the, the event of a lifetime is here with, with them now, is here with you now. And they didn't quite get that. Just like when two people get married and everyone pauses their normal routines, this is what he's saying. Just like now, when, when people get married, everybody pauses their normal routines, including their spiritual disciplines. So too, when people are around Jesus, they want to celebrate and should be celebrating. That's what he's saying. Have you ever really envisioned Jesus as the life of the party? Because essentially that's what he's saying here. Following Jesus as a life of continual joy. Did you ever think about your relationship with Jesus that way? Continual joy because we are followers of Jesus. Only instead of a week, it's a lifetime of joy. This is what he's saying. It's a lifetime of joy. Now don't, don't hear me that I'm talking prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that when we follow Jesus, there are no problems and everything's fine and it's just a party all the time. If that's what you're hearing, you're hearing what you want to hear. Jesus offers a lifetime of joy to those that follow him. And it's not some secret to figure out. It's not something that's hidden. He's saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. The disciples of John and the Pharisees, they saw it and they were confused. They didn't totally get it. They were also living in the moment and still trying to learn some of these things. But Jesus didn't hide his response to them. In fact, he highlighted it. He talked about this exact kind of thing in, in various ways. In John 10.10, 10, he said it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. Life to the fullest. Following Jesus is life to the fullest. So, Again, don't misunderstand and hear that you won't have problems and that you'll just be happy all the time if you follow Jesus. See, happiness is circumstantial. What he's talking about is joy. Happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy, that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's why it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it's based on abiding with Christ or remaining with Christ, being with him. So you can see how being with Jesus is what brings joy. And he was, he's saying, I'm here, I'm with them, so we should have joy right now. Some of these things don't really matter in my presence. It's what a lifetime of joy really means. I've got another Charles Spurgeon quote for you this week that goes perfect with this. Theologian, 
said this, believers are not dependent on circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by their Lord. It's important to note here that fasting and, and, and mourning and, and longing for Jesus' return are, are things that became a part of the followers, of his followers when Jesus, uh, after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. These were spiritual practices that, that again, um, returned, as Jesus said in verse 15, and what we're looking at. So, so life with Jesus is a lifetime of joy. And then Jesus goes on to compare that life of following him to patching clothes and storing new wine. And again, we're like, all right, got it. So culturally relevant analogies here at the time, but here's the point. Here's the point. Neither one of these things, when he's talking about patching clothes and new wine and old wineskins, his, his point of all of this is neither one works with the old container. Neither one of these things work with the old container. That's why the voice of criticism came so easily to John's disciples and why it comes so easily for you to others and for others toward you. See, Jesus came to introduce something new, not to patch up something old. And too often we look at it the other way. He came to introduce something new, not to patch up something old. This is what salvation is all about. In doing this, Jesus doesn't destroy the old, the law. It says he came to fulfill it. Similar to how an acorn is fulfilled when it grows into an oak tree. He didn't come to destroy the acorn. He came to fulfill it to, to become the oak tree. The patch on the old clothes, that idea, that only works for a short time, right? Because eventually, we know that the best thing to do is to just get a new pair of pants. Because at the end of the day, a patch is exactly that. It's just a patch. See, in verse 17, it says, and no one puts new wine into old wine skins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the, the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. So let me explain this. Today, we know wine comes in glass bottles or in boxes, um, and it's pressurized and it's sealed. That wasn't a thing then. Um, in the time of Jesus, it came in basically bags of leather. And when they would put the wine in what was known as the wine skin, it was young wine, which means it still had active fermentation going on and it was expanding and there was gases in there and all those kinds of things. So if they would put it into an old wine skin, an old leather bag that was, um, that was like hard and crusty, it would blow up if they did that. You have to put it in something that's pliable, that's flexible, that's got room to grow. And so what you're seeing is new wine, what Jesus is saying. What you are seeing is new wine, meaning my followers here. What you're seeing is that. So have the flexibility to accept these followers of mine and their unorthodox processes and, and, and things as they mature. He came to do the same thing in your life and the same thing in mine. In our day and age, habits so quickly become traditions. And traditions quickly become 
pillars of faith. But that was never Jesus' intent. It was never Jesus' intent for his people. There, there are things that have become traditions that have become pillars of faith that it was never God's idea for that to be a thing in the way in which we put it in there. Not for his people, not for his church. See, following Jesus is such a new lifestyle that the old models don't fit. It's such a new lifestyle that the old models don't fit. It's constantly a thing of new. It's constantly, we are constantly growing and we are constantly finding. Jesus said, he said, I'm doing a new thing. And this is a reason to celebrate. This is a reason to celebrate. Aspects of your lifestyle before Jesus will not fit, hear me on this, will not fit in a Jesus-centered lifestyle and the Holy Spirit will make those aspects extremely clear. But as we grow in, in, our, in our walk, in our faith with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is gonna make those things clear to you based on getting to know him more and reading his word and knowing Jesus more. We don't necessarily need to sit and point them out to all of us because in many, many ways we know. We know. We talked, to, we talked about this idea a little bit last week if you were here. Jesus isn't added to your old life. That's not the right way to look at it. If we just add Jesus to our old life, that's not the intent. The old life dies. This is what he's saying. The old life is dead and he becomes our new life. And so with this illustration with the wineskins that he's using here that seems really weird to us, I think you can see how it makes so much sense. Jesus explained that he didn't come to repair or reform the old institutions of Judaism, but to institute a new covenant altogether. And the new covenant of Jesus, it, it doesn't just improve the old, it replaces it and then goes beyond it. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. See, you can criticize the old you all day long. I know I can. I'm pretty hard on myself, I'm, I'm my biggest critic. I can criticize the old Jay all day long, but you know what? That person is gone, and that should give me joy. That old person before Jesus that you're thinking about, that you criticize yourself all the time, that person's gone. That person's gone. If you're a follower of Jesus, that person is gone. That old person that got you in trouble, that old person that was more selfish that didn't have the Holy Spirit guiding them, the old person that didn't have any kind of moral standard because you weren't following Jesus and so why should I have been expected to act like a believer if I wasn't one and I had no standard holding me to it anyway? That person is gone, but this new person, the new, the new person that Jesus has put in place is a container of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you are a container for the Holy Spirit of God. Think about that. That's an awesome thing. You're a container for the Holy Spirit of God and he can and will use you for his kingdom that lasts forever 
And that is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to celebrate. That is a reason to have joy. And, and he's giving room for flexibility for you to grow and mature in your faith and in your walk. The Lord raises up new wineskins in every generation. In every generation. And you know what? That's not based on your season of life or how old or young that you are. It's based on when you have come to Jesus and what he is doing with your life from that point forward. So let's be full of joy about that. Let's be full of joy about that. In an ever-critical world, let the Holy Spirit of God push us toward his best for us, not the world's. In a world that wants to criticize everything that we do, let's not react to that in the way in which the world reacts to that and hit back. Let's remember what we have in our relationship with God. Let's remember the joy that we should have and the joy of our salvation that we know for 100% sure that we're gonna be in heaven with Jesus. And if you don't know that, boy, can, am I just super excited to tell you about the news that you can walk out of here knowing that today, to have the joy of the Lord in your life because that's not based on your circumstances. That's not based on whether the Browns blow it again. That's not based on what happens at your job. That's not based on any of those other things that we think makes us happy. That's not based on the drama at school or lack thereof. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on who Jesus says you are. And that is a thing to be joyful about. And so the connection point for the day is go ahead, criticize Jesus because he gives us a reason for joy. And if you wanna criticize Jesus for giving us a reason for joy, go for it because he is guilty as charged. So go ahead, criticize him. Criticize him for giving you a reason for joy. Criticize him for saving you, for sacrificing himself for you so that you could have life to the fullest and you could have eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. And if you wanna criticize Jesus for that, be my guest. As I said, each criticism legitimizes Jesus' ministry. And we see that again here. And we're gonna continue to see that and you will continue to see that as you flip through the pages of scripture. But you know what? I, for one, am not gonna criticize Jesus. I'm gonna praise him as we've already done and as we're gonna continue to do as followers of him, as the church, I'm gonna praise him and remember that when the criticisms of life get to me, because they do and they will and they will still get to you as well because we're fallible, sinful human beings and we're never gonna be able to get this right all the time. But we need to remember our reason for joy, not happiness, is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Will you bow with me? Listen, if you don't have that joy in your life, if you're not, if, if you're thinking that man, the Lord just doesn't really care about me. I've got all of these different things going on in my life. I'm, I'm not happy with where things are right now. Maybe it's because you're looking at circumstances as opposed to looking to the joy of the Lord. There's a difference. Not everything's gonna go right all the time. 
And following Jesus doesn't guarantee that either. But you will have a joy in the things that matter and the things that last forever because that's from the Holy Spirit of God. And if you don't have that joy of salvation, if you're not 100% sure that you're going to be with him in heaven one day, I would love nothing more than to talk with you and pray with you about that, to show you in his word. You can either come to the orange wall after the service or you can even come right down front. I know that we've got uh, a couple of people that, that would love to talk with you, would love to pray with you, even if you just need prayer about something. You can come right down over to the, um, to the core value side of, uh, of the stage here, the opposite of the, of the windows. And I know that there'll be a couple of people there ready to pray with you. I can't encourage you enough to find your joy in the Lord and not listen to the critics. Because you know who's not criticizing you? Jesus. He's taken all that. And he says, I love you. And not only is he not criticizing you, he wants to do something incredible with you and with your life. Heavenly Father, we're so blessed to be able to call you that be able to call you Father. Jesus, you love us so much. God, we live in a critical world where everybody loves to tell us everything that we're doing wrong. Sometimes that can be hard to deal with. Sometimes that, that causes a lot, of, a lot of stress and God, we just get down on ourselves. Lord, you want to do a new thing in our life. You didn't come to patch up the old. You came to bring something completely new. Remind us of that today. Lord, even for those that have, have been followers of you for a while, I think we can get into a rut. So Jesus, I pray that you would remind us of the joy of our salvation. And, and Father, if there is one here that doesn't know you as Savior, they're not sure that they have a relationship with you. They don't have the joy of salvation in their life. God, I pray that they would not walk out of the doors today without knowing for sure that they're gonna be with you in heaven one day. We love you. And we're so grateful for what you've done for us and what you're going to continue to do. In your name we pray.